good morning again. It's good to be here with you all this morning. And if, um, if you didn't know walking in, I hope that you know now that it's Christ the King Sunday. The whole focus this morning in the life of the church around the world is reminding ourselves that Christ is King. All right? Christ is King of all aspects of our lives, whether we acknowledge that or not. All right, all aspects of our lives. I tried to portray that in my little enactment earlier today, and I hope that we can walk away this morning reflecting on that reality in our own lives. What does it mean that Christ is king of each and every area of our lives? And are there places where we need to give more of our lives, more aspects of our lives over to his authority? So Christ the King Sunday was instituted by Pope Pius XI in 1925 to combat a, a rising secularism that was taking place in Europe, largely prompted as people responded against the kings, the authorities that were present in history in that time. So that was the time of Mussolini and Lenin and Stalin and Hitler, a lot of ruthless leaders. And so the idea of kingship was increasingly being shaped by those leaders. And so folks were beginning to shy away from thinking about Christ as king. And Pope Pius recognized the need to draw the church back to that, to keep Jesus as our ultimate authority. And so he instituted this day that every year now the church around the world celebrates. And it's one point on the calendar that can cause us to pause and to reflect on what does it mean that Jesus is king. It makes for some nice lyrics, but what does it mean in my life, in the life of our nation, in the life of this world, in history, what does it mean that Jesus is king? So that is what we're going to reflect on a bit this morning. And we're going to do that by looking at a passage in the book of Colossians. So we are preaching through the lectionary, which means that there have been passages chosen by leaders of the church years ago that churches around the world are all reading and studying together. And so today we move into the book of Colossians. And this is one of those books that was written by Paul from prison in Rome. And it, it was to a church, the church in Colossae, that he had probably never actually been to. He did not actually start this church. It was started by one of his followers. And we're going to be looking at a section in the first chapter, verses 11 through 20. And what we have here is a poem. And this is really a subversive poem. Because rather than calling the Christians in Colossae out of their context, Paul is seeking to reform the imaginations of the Christians within their context, to shift their perspective in their context so that they can thrive in the midst of the Roman Empire that is ruling the day. And Paul does this by emphasizing that Jesus, not Caesar, is king. He does this by emphasizing that Jesus, not the economy, not enlightened thought, not anything else, that Jesus is king. Jesus is the source of meaning, the source of purpose, the source of hope. And so his encouragement in these verses is to turn your eyes back to Jesus. Yes, life is happening. Yes, you are being ruled by an oppressive power. But turn your eyes back to Jesus, because ultimately there is a larger story that all of this fits into. 
and it is a story with a good ending. I came across this quote this week. Vanquished peoples are not really subjects of the empire until their imagination has been taken captive. Until the imagination is broken, domesticated, and reshaped in the image of the empire, then people are still free. So this morning we're going to be talking about the importance of perspective. All right? So Mark has been watching the show Man in the High Castle. Have any of you followed that show? The premise is, what if Germany had won? And so the whole story shows what reality might be like if the Allies had not won the war. But throughout the course of the story, there are these video clips that begin cropping up that show a different reality. And so the people who are living under Nazi rule still begin to have their hope awakened that maybe there is a different reality. Maybe there is a reality where, where I am not living oppressed. And certain characters begin seeing clips of themselves in this other reality. And hope is awakened in them. And they find within themselves the strength to fight against the powers that be in hope that this other reality might be true. The shift of perspective has a profound impact on the characters in that story. I also, within the last couple of weeks, came across an article called The Norwegian Secret to Enjoying a Long Winter. Maybe some of you found it in your Facebook feed. And I read it because I was like, oh man, I could use that as we turned the clock, whichever way we turned it, and darkness started setting in so early, right? In America, we dread, most of us, that time change. We dread that day when all of a sudden it is dark at 4 o'clock. When we go to work in the dark, we come home in the dark. We have seasonal depressive disorder. We have all of these different problems that arise because of the added darkness in our lives. This article, though, highlights the fact that in many of these Scandinavian countries, it's a completely different reality. They live way further north. The darkness is way more extreme. And yet, they do not deal with all of the negative effects like we do in America. And as I read the article, what was highlighted in it was it's all a matter of perspective. That rather than the language being one of dread leading into the winter season, what's the word called? Hugh? Huga. Look it up. <laughs> it's all about the opportunity to pull out the big, fluffy blanket, to light all of the candles, to put up the twinkle lights. It's a chance to have hot drinks whenever you want them and to gather together in cozy settings with the people that you love the most. And I thought, oh, that's the kind of reality I try to create at home all the time because I love that. But what would it look like if our anticipation of winter began to be shaped in that way? Simply by shifting our perspective might our entire experience of winter change. Perspective matters. Now, the last few years have been hard ones. I don't think anyone would argue that. The illusion of peace and safety and unity has been shown to be just that, time and again in America. Beginning, perhaps most dramatically, on 9-11, when those two planes crashed into the Twin Towers, we realized that safety was an illusion. 
But since then, the news has been full of stories of school shootings and racial tension, polarized politics, the opioid crisis, the Me Too movement, growing attention to our impact on the environment. And the list goes on and on. And Paul's words that I'm going to read here in a moment, in Colossians 1, are words that we need to hear in the midst of this. Because they remind us of the hope that we as Christians possess. That even still, in the face of all of this, Jesus is king. That even still, Jesus holds all of this. Even still, Jesus is not befuddled by the realities of our world. He's not caught off guard by them. He has not been conquered. Even now, King Jesus is very capably working all things towards a good end. And so I hope as we hear these words this morning, they can offer us an opportunity to shift our perspective, that our eyes can be drawn away from all of these terribly important things, that we can set down our idols and shift our focus to the one who holds all of them in his hands, and that we can be reminded together this morning of who Jesus is. And in that can find rest and hope and peace. So that's a long introduction that I'm going to read for us now of Colossians chapter 1. I'm reading in a different translation today, but that's intentional, out of the New Living Translation, beginning in verse 11. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Lord, I pray that as we reflect together on these verses, that you would speak to our hearts. If we come today in a place of despair, in a place of fear, in a place of sadness, Lord, I pray that you would draw our eyes to Jesus, that you would remind us that you, even still, are in control, and that you love us, and that you are still today working all things towards a good end. Amen. There are so many different powers that are vying for our lordship of our lives. So many things that want to be God to us. And so like the church in Colossae, 
We need to be aware of that. We need to be aware that our national identity seeks to be primary in our lives. Our political party seeks to be primary in our lives. Our Western consumer culture seeks to be primary in our lives. Our families seek to be primary in our lives. But when we allow these things to take that ultimate place, we're strapping ourselves into a roller coaster, aren't we? Of heartache, of disappointment, and often we end up in a place of despair when those things fail us. This week alone, my vision was full of impeachment hearings, the realities of climate change, Venice flooding. Mark received word that a classmate of his from Fuller, who has been a pastor in Tacoma, committed suicide this week. Multiple friends battling cancer and dealing with the very real impacts of that. These things are excruciatingly hard. But when I see them as part of a bigger story, when I see them as part of a story where Jesus is king, Lord and creator of the universe, lover of my soul, is king still and is actively engaged in moving all things to a good end. Where goodness wins, where evil will be destroyed. When I can see all of these different things in my life in this bigger context, they don't wreck me in the same way as they would otherwise. We need a perspective shift to reorient our devotions away from all of these important things to the most important one. We need to have our attention shifted from everything that is wrong to the one who is actively about the work of making it right. Not as an excuse to disengage, right? But in order to root ourselves in the source of hope that can sustain us in our engagement. Our view of Jesus has become too small. Buddy Jesus, kind of that prime image. Jesus is my friend. And so our view of everything else then has become too big. The Jesus that Paul writes about in these verses is a cosmic Jesus. This poem is called, it's about Jesus. Jesus is in the title. I don't remember what it's called. But at the same time, this poem is the whole story of history. Because Jesus is that big. Jesus is from start to finish. It's Jesus who creates. It's Jesus who redeems. It's Jesus who ultimately will bring about the reconciliation and the restoration of all things. Nothing makes sense apart from Jesus' presence and his participation. Because Jesus is the active force from start to finish. This year at Sanctuary, I think next week, we're going to be passing out an Advent um, uh, calendar idea. For families, if you do not have children, you are also welcome to participate. But the invitation is every day of Advent to read one story out of the Jesus Storybook Bible. There are 24 stories from creation to the birth of Jesus in the Jesus Storybook Bible. So that by the time you get to Christmas, you have framed Jesus in the context of the larger narrative of Scripture. What I love about the Jesus Storybook Bible, and for some of you it may be over the top, but every single story anticipates, foreshadows, builds the anticipation that Jesus is the one that this story points to. Jesus is the king who is coming. Whatever the dilemma in that story is, 
Jesus is the one who is ultimately going to fix the problem. So I invite you to enter into that with us this year, to read through that story with us so that you can be reminded of how big Jesus is. Now, Paul packs a lot into this poem. This is one of the kind of key Christological pieces of scripture, but I just want to highlight three things quickly that I think Paul brings out. And then at the, at the end, I'm going to have my dad come up and I'm going to ask him a couple of questions so that we can hear from one individual, what does it mean to you in your life that Jesus is king? So the first thing that, the first thing, the first thing that Paul's words make clear is that Jesus is the way, not a way. Now that is fighting language here in Seattle. And it was in Colossae as well. They were surrounded by a pantheistic Roman culture where gods were literally a dime a dozen. And so many in Colossae had begun to believe that Jesus was not the unique son of God, but that he was one of many gods, or perhaps simply an intermediary, one more prophet pointing the way, a good example to emulate. But to this, Paul says, no, Jesus is more than that. Paul says, Jesus is not a God. He is the one true God with skin on. Jesus is unique because he is the creator. He is the one that breathes everything into existence. He is the sustainer of everything that is, holding all things together. And he is the culmination of all that is. Jesus is unique. Paul makes that very clear here. He is not a way. He is the way for life everlasting. Jesus himself makes these claims. And so to deny these particular claims is to deny Jesus. There's not a middle ground. Fighting words, I know. The second thing I want to highlight is that salvation is in Jesus alone. Now the church in Colossae was immersed in a culture that was steeped in Greek philosophy. And central to the Greek worldview was the belief that salvation came not through a relationship with Jesus, but through spiritual enlightenment, gnosis, Gnosticism. And so the way to heaven was to receive some special secret knowledge. And so many within the church in Colossae had begun to pursue this enlightened thought, abandoning scripture in favor of their own private spiritual journey. And to this, Paul says, no, there are no secrets. There's no hidden knowledge that hasn't already been revealed in Jesus. He says, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. He has made it clear. So if you want to know God, look at Jesus. If you want a relationship with God, no problem. Jesus has made that possible. Through him, God reconciled everything to himself. God has made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by Jesus' blood on the cross. Salvation comes not from reaching some level of mystical enlightenment. It comes to relationship with Jesus. And finally, Paul's words assure us that King Jesus cares about us, and he cares about creation. Christians in Colossae were also surrounded by the Greek understanding that human beings are divine souls trapped within physical bodies. 
And so there was this duality that, that elevated the spiritual and rejected the physical. In that context, the physical was something to be escaped. And so what happens to or in the body didn't matter. Do whatever you want in this body. Because it is merely a container, and one day you're going to leave it behind. Pay no attention to the effects of your actions on creation, because it's all going to burn anyway. Well, to this, Paul says, no. God was pleased to dwell in the midst of this creation. He put flesh on and became a part of this creation. He said that it was good. And God is even now about the work of reconciling it, healing it, restoring it. And not just our souls, everything, all things, he says, through Jesus' work on the cross. There's a quote that is familiar for many of us from Abraham Kuyper that speaks about there being not a single square inch of all creation that Jesus not, does not proclaim mine over. But I came across another quote this week from C.S. Lewis that says, there is no central ground in the universe, no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. God cares about every square inch of creation. Creation matters. We matter. And Jesus is even now about the work of sustaining it, which I need to hear. I'm troubled at what I see of the effects of climate change. It troubles me. And so I need to be reminded that Jesus is king of that. He is sustaining you and me. He is sustaining the orca whales, he is sustaining the salmon and the starfish, the weather patterns, the forests, the fields. He is sustaining governments and nations, things that we can see and things that we can't see. They are all his. And even if we can't see it, King Jesus is presently and in an active way holding all creation together. And in this, we have reason to hope. All of the hard news, broken relationships, wars, natural disasters, climate change, sickness, work, that is toil, all of these things no longer have the last word. They are footnotes of a much bigger story of God's loving and tireless work of redeeming and restoring all of things. This work is going on now. Now, I chose to read this out of the NLT today, and it's not quite as clear in the NLT, but the passage that we read from today that was chosen for today's reading starts in the middle of a sentence in the middle of a paragraph. It's a weird place to start a reading. And so I had to wrestle with, what's going on here? That's not typically how we function. But as I started trying to understand it, what I saw is that the first three ver verses, 11 through 14, is Paul praying for specific individuals in the church in Colossae. He, he prays that they will be strengthened, that they will have endurance and patience, that they will be filled with joy. And he prays that these benefits would come 
from King Jesus. That these very personal benefits would come from the same cosmic Jesus that Paul goes on to describe at length in this poem that follows. Creation matters on a macro level, and you and I as individuals matter on an intimate, personal level to God as well. And so I came to understand that the creators of the lectionary have a start in verse 11 to remind us that Jesus, who is king of the universe, also cares about me. He knows me. He loves me. And he is actively at work on my behalf. What a gift. And what a source of hope and joy for me. As I reflect on all of these things that matter so much to me, that are important to me, that I invest a lot of time thinking about and adjusting my life in order to manage, that Jesus cares about all of those things way more than me. He can manage all of them way better than I can. And I'm so grateful because I'm so incapable of managing it all myself. I'm going to have my dad come and share. We're going to have to be pretty quick. Come on up. It felt like it would be helpful to have someone share a little bit specifically. When we think about kings, that is kind of, we're not familiar with kings in our culture. What does it mean to you, Dad, that Jesus is your king? And if you could give one example, maybe, of how your life has been affected in a specific way by that reality. Well, I think that... uh First of all, I think that God uh, made me uh, with free will so I can decide which way I want to go. He's given me wisdom, and that's where he has helped to shape me. Uh, And then I have to make the decision of who's going to be sitting on the throne in my life. Can you think of one specific time when... I can think of several. Uh, And and what I'd like to do is, I'm going through one now, uh, but it goes back. uh, Years ago, I I was at the point in life when I said, I'm going to sit there and set up my next assignment. Now, many of you know I was in the Air Force. Every three years, we go to uh, a new assignment. And so I set up the perfect assignment for me. It met all the requirements of what I needed to do, where everybody said I should go. I went off to school. My wife calls one day and says, Bob, they're trying to get a hold of you. I call. I say, I've already got my assignment lined up. And I was told, no, you don't. Uh, And the Lord had a different idea. And I was going to Europe rather than to be a commander, which I thought was what I needed. But the assignment was the perfect assignment. Well, so I'm going through this same type of thing right now. Uh, It was just two months ago, I thought, I've got the perfect job for where I am. The perfect job. And then, all of a sudden, I was let go. Uh, the college, they shut it down. It was like 300 of us told one day, you don't have a job with us anymore. Wow. 
It was August 5th when the Lord said, you're not focused. You're not focused on me. And it made a difference. And so things are changing. They're changing in my life. He's got to be the one on the throne, not me. Thank you. We're going to come to the Lord's table now. And I'm going to leave a, a little bit of silence at the beginning for us to reflect on what does it mean for Jesus to be king of my life? Specifically, are there, is there some area of my life that I have not given over to the Lordship of Christ? Is it my finances? Is it my vocational path? Is it my sexuality? Is it my family? Is it my, my clinging to the need to, to fix the world myself? We're going to take some moments of quiet, and then we will come to the table. Let's pray.